0: We are moving through the book of Ezekiel, and we come to this wonderful prophecy tonight, uh, all pertaining to Israel. And remember, as at the beginning of this study, let me just remind you of something that we need to keep in mind as we're moving through the Old Testament, especially in these passages dealing with Israel. The church was a mystery. In other words, the Old Testament saints did not look into the future and expect the church. They, the church, uh, Paul refers to it as a mystery, something that was not a Nancy Drew kind of thing, but a mystery is something that God kept hidden until the time that he revealed it. Paul says it was a mystery. So they're not anticipating the church, but they are anticipating a kingdom. And this prophecy has to be encouraging. Think about this. Think about all that they had been through. They had, uh, the city had been destroyed uh, they have been taken into Babylonian captivity. God has been giving all these uh, prophecies of doom and gloom. And now He comes along and He gives them a prophecy of a new covenant something that their hearts longed for, something that they, they ached for. And I can almost sense the excitement that Ezekiel, the prophet and the priest, dual role, must have felt as God begins to unfold this. Prophecy concerning the nation of of Israel. So let's look at verse 36 and we'll unpack this a verse at a time. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 36. Also thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel. Now remember in many of the prophecies before, God was telling Ezekiel prophesy against uh, Egypt or prophesy against this or the mountains here or there. Now he's saying prophesy unto them, to them. This is a prophecy to them, not a prophecy against them. This is one they'll readily receive. And he says, Say ye, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. He's talking about the nation of Israel. and he's, This first part of this primarily is dealing with the land. Verse 2, Thus saith the Lord God, Because the enemy <clears throat> hath said against you, Aha, even... The ancient high places are ours in possession. In other words, um, these people came in. They said, well, Israel's supposed to be God's chosen people, but we've captured the land, even the ancient high places. We have them. We possess them. How great are you? God's not pleased with that. Look at verse 3. Therefore prophesy and say, thus saith the Lord God, because they, the enemies, have made you desolate, Remember, they came in and they destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah, if you're familiar with Nehemiah, he, is hurt, he hears about the walls being torn down, the city destroyed, and he goes and he sits down and he weeps over the, the walls of Jerusalem. It's made desolate, desolate. And swallowed you up on every side that ye might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen, And ye are taken up in the lips of talkers and the many infamy of the people. Therefore, ye mountains of Israel, the land of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and to the cities that are forsaken, which become a prey, and derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, surely... In the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue, the enemy, I've spoken against them of the heathen, and against all of Edomia, which which is Edom, which have appointed my land unto their possession with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds to cast it out for a prey. In other words, all these enemies think that this is their land. They, They think that they've got it. But God says, I've got a prophecy that's coming. And I'm aware of all this, and something that's coming is going to be so great. Verse 6, Prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury, because ye have borne the shame of the heathen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up my hand. Surely the heathen that are about you they shall bear their shame. God is telling them it's over for them. Heathen are the Gentile nations that persecuted Israel and the Jews. God said it's over. They think that they possess this. They think they've got it together. But in my jealousy and my fury, I'm going to take care of them and they're going to bear their own shame. Now look at verse 8. But ye, O mountain of Israel... Ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. The first part of his prophecy is this. The land will return to be fruitful. It's going to be like a shoot. It's going to shoot forth like branches. Have you noticed that in some places there are some branches right now even though we haven't officially entered into spring, that are already starting to have shoots and buds. And it's coming back to life. This nation that was desolate, this land that was desolate, that they had come in and they had pillaged and they had ravaged and they destroyed it, God says it's going to come back to life. It's going to be fruitful. Look at verse 9. For behold, I am for you. Is there not greater words in the world when God says, I am for you. Man, how can you lose if God is for you? He's for the land of Israel. As a matter of fact, he made the promise not only to the people of Israel, but to the land of Israel. He said, uh, he promised them the land before he said, you'll be my people. And not only did He promise them the land and be His people, but He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Here He says, I am for you, I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown. People do not till and sow seed in desolate land. God is saying, I am going to bless the land... And then people will till and sow. Look at verse 10. And I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it. And the cities shall be inhabited and the waste shall be builded. Not only is he going to bless the land and make it fruitful and he's going to be like shoots and buds and it'll be tillable and it'll be sown. But he's going to multiply the men, the people, his people. Verse 11. And I will multiply upon you, man and beast. Beast is not a wild; it's not a bad word. It's it's like cattle. It's it's like uh, livestock. It's going to be a wonderful time. Now, the question we, comes to our mind is: Has this wonderful time happened yet? No. It has not. This is the anticipation of the kingdom that people are expecting, the literal kingdom upon the earth. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. He says, I will uh, multiply you man upon you, man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates. Settle. There's been no settlement in Israel. They're still battling over the borders. And God has given them, but it's not settled yet, earthly speaking. But it will one day, at this time he's talking... And he says, and will do better unto you than your beginnings, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. God is prophesying of this time when the land will come back to life over there. And it will be fruitful. And many men and women will walk up on there, and they'll be, they'll be bringing forth fruit and increase, and it will be better than their beginnings. It'll be better than it's ever been. Verse 12, Yea, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess thee, and thou shalt be their inheritance, and thou shalt no more henceforth bereave them of men. He's talking about the land. My people Israel walk upon you. You will be their inheritance. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, Moses got to see the promised land, but he never got to step foot in the promised land. Uh, we believe at the the um, Mount of Transfiguration he did, but not when he was not when he came to deliver to bring all of the Israelites out of Egypt. He got to see it, but he never got to cross into the Promised Land. The, he never got to possess the inheritance. God says Israel will possess the inheritance. There'll be no rockets fired upon them. There'll be no fighting over it. There'll be no. Um, foreign dignitaries trying to intervene and cause difficulties. It won't happen. It'll be their inheritance. It'll be a fruitful land. Verse 13, Thus saith the Lord God, Because they say unto you, Thou land devourest up men, and hast bereaved thy nations, therefore shalt thou devour men no more. Neither bereave thy nations any more, saith God. It's going to be a a place of tranquility, of peace. A place that men are not devoured up and men are not dying and the blood is not up to the bits of the horse's mouth. None of that. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Oh, we'll get there. Moreover, verse 16, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanliness of a removed woman. Wait a minute. Are you saying that the reason that they were desolate in the first place is because of the way they were when they had, when they were in the land? When they were in the land, what did they do? They defiled it by their own way. They didn't follow God. They didn't keep His commandments. They didn't do what He instructed them to do. They did their own thing in the land of God. Look at verse 18. Wherefore I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land, and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. This is what God did throughout the history because of their disobedience and because they, they turned to other idols and they worshipped other idols, God's fury turned to them and He punished them. And look at verse 19, And I scattered them among the heathen, the Gentiles, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. God brought them to this place of desolation. He scattered them abroad. It's interesting if you would take your Google, when not during church please, but when you get home, and you would Google Jewish populations around the world, you would find that in many different places of of the world, there are large Jewish populations. And you're wondering, how in the world? Do you know that there's a large population in Russia of Jews? Poland? and I don't even know how to pronounce some of those places. I'm just going to leave it right there. But it's interesting. God said, I scattered them and dispersed them throughout the countries. I did that because I judged them and when they entered into unto the heathen whither they went they profaned my holy name and when they said to them these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land when they scattered abroad and they went in and they were talking all this uh, blasphemy and they were doing all this this things these saying these things that weren't honoring God where's the honor at? aren't these God's people but they're not in the land that he promised them But now, notice what he says. Something changes. What changes? I'll tell you what changes. The mercy and grace of God changes. Look at verse 21. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. So God's pouring judgment on the land. He's pouring judgment on the people of Israel. And God says, I had... I I have mercy not not for them because they were so good but for my holy name now notice what verse 22 says therefore saying to the house of Israel thus saith the Lord God I do not this for your sakes O house of Israel man I bet you that's really ruffles some feathers God says I'm not doing it because I like you I'm doing it because of my holy name Now, we know that God loves us, and He loved Israel. But His primary purpose for doing this was His holy name. But for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen. My holy name. But this is what God's going to do. And it hasn't come yet. And I want you to see this. Now the prophecy is going to be targeted. He walks us through uh, what He's going to do. He brings us to the place and shows us what He has done, and now He's going to give us a picture of what it's going to be like. Verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes." How are you going to do that, God? How are you, what will you do? He says for 24, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. When will this happen? This will happen after the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period is what I should say. Read Matthew chapter 25, the regathering, the prophecy of the regathering together of the nation, bringing the people home. Now, I've told you time and time again, and I want to tell you again, just so you don't forget, we can see, and I believe that we will not be in the tribulation period, so we can see evidence of this happening already. The birthright project, you can Google that also. When I was in Israel, they have the birthright project, and they were telling me about it. And what it is, is anyone that was born a Jew, <clears throat> and say you are dispersed to Russia, they will pay to bring you home, they will give you health care, they will give you food, they will get you set up in a house, and they will get you a job and bring you back, and they'll pay for everything. That's how much they love their citizens. And that's what they're doing on a human scale. But when God gathers them together, it's going to be on a spiritual massive scale Well, He'll bring them back. How specifically He does it, we don't know. But we know that prophecy teaches us that He will gather them together in their land. Their own land, their inheritance, their land that God has blessed, their land that God has made rich and fertile, their land that God has made budding and coming to life. Verse 25, Then I bring you home first, then after I bring you home, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. How are you going to do this, God? Look at verse 26. A new heart also will I give you. God is going to give them a new heart. Who is He talking about? Hold your finger right here, if you will, and go over with me to Romans chapter eleven. I just love the Bible, and there's nothing that irks me more than when people today talk about the Jews and say it's over for the Jews. The Jews and the church, are, the Jews have become the church now. There are no Jews. That's not what Romans nine through eleven teaches. If you just read it. In Romans, 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 In Romans chapter 11 and verse 26, he says this, "And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, "There shall come out of Sion the deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, who Israel, when I shall take away their sins. That's in Romans. That's the Apostle Paul. And apparently he knew the prophecy of Ezekiel. How's that going to happen? Does that mean that everybody just because they're um, Israel, Israeli will be saved? No, we know that during the tribulation period, primarily God is will be pouring judgment out on the earth and he will be judging Israel. Who is he talking about? Who is the all Israel going to be saved? Those who he gives a new heart. Who will he give a new heart? Those who come by faith. It's always been by faith. The Old Testament saints, how was Abraham justified? He was justified by faith, looking forward. We look back to the cross and believe in Jesus Christ and what He did. Who is God going to give a new heart? Those who come by faith, believe in faith. Those who survive through the tribulation period, don't take the mark of the beast. That's who He's talking about. By faith, they refuse to take the mark of the beast. Why? Because they know that it's not the Messiah. And they'll come to faith in the Messiah... And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit while I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. What, where do we hear this? Where does this come to mind about stony heart and flesh? And you remember the parable of the seeds falling on fertile ground? Some fell on stony and it didn't, it, you know, sprung right up and then the devil came and took it away. Uh, The fertile ground that came in. It has to do with faith. It's always been about faith. And so those who do that, he is going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. And he says, and I will give you a heart of flesh, flesh in contrast to stone. That means it's a sensitive, it's a pliable heart. It's, it, it can receive stone just will bounce off. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. When is this going to happen? After the tribulation period when the Lord Jesus Christ sets up his millennial kingdom and they'll walk finally at peace in the land and they won't have to fight any longer and it will be so Wonderful. Verse 29, I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that ye receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. For the first time in the world, there will be no threat of famine. There will be no threat of a crop being disintegrated or wiped out or destroyed. I remember one time I had a real nice garden I'd planted and put a lot of time in it and had corn, and one afternoon a storm came in, and all that corn laid down. I was so frustrated, and I didn't know what to do, so I went out to Gerlach and asked, what do I do? And he said, just leave it alone. And that corn curved and grew back up like this. It was the funniest looking stuff, but it was good corn. Um, but I think about that, and my, I think I was telling my dad that, and he said, well, just thank God you're not a farmer, and that's how you make your living. Isn't that something? I mean, the farmers have to think about their lit, their crops, and they have to think about what happened in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and how it could come through and just wipe and devastate everything. Can you imagine a time when the farmer won't have to worry about that? As a matter of fact, the way I read this, he says, I will call for the corn. best I can understand this is you don't have to worry about it. He's going, the Lord's going to take care of the corn. It's going to grow. I, if somebody can mess up the growing process... It's this cat right here. Somebody says, all you got to do is put the seed in the ground, put water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, John Morrow. But, anyways, I'm just saying. Watch this. This is what is wonderful about this. Uh, verse 30, I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Verse 31, then. Shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations? When you see how good it is, you're going to be very sorry. You'll be sorry that your ancestors ever even did things like that. (coughs) Not for your sakes do I do this, saith the Lord. God, be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day, this is how I also know its future, in the day, when it happens, that specific day he's talking about. When it happens, that I shall cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the wastes shall be builded, And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas lay desolate in the sight of all that pass by. And they shall say, This land was that, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. That's not a coincidental phrase there. Because many scholars believe that the millennial kingdom, as well as the new heavenly city coming down out of the sky, will be just like the garden of eden how beautiful it was i'm thinking about 82 degrees no humidity no clouds plump grapes I, I any kind of fruit your heart could ever imagine i i'm 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 preaching now somebody going to say amen <laughs> I'm thinking of the garden. And there's. I, I think there's a, a specific reference here. And I think it's important to note that during that time, it's going to be like it was in the Garden of Eden. Now, what happened in the Garden of Eden? God came down in the cool of the day and had an intimate fellowship, and walked and talked with Adam and Eve. In God's land, when he comes in, and that day he says, That day I do this. I'm first going to make the land fertile. I'm going to make it wonderful. The vegetation is going to come to life. You know, here in a month or two, we'll be celebrating Easter. I love Easter. The lilies are starting to bloom and bud and everything's coming to life. And all creation is testifying of the resurrection of our Savior. He says, "The the earth... Is going to come to life and there will be no worry of of bloodshed and violence and the earth won't swallow up anyone and won't devour anyone. It will be just like the Garden of Eden. I'm going to multiply and bring forth the fruit and it's going to be something. And my people will be there and they will finally be at peace and they don't have to lie in bed and worry about a a rocket being launched from the Gaza Strip and they don't have to worry about all this stuff going on because God will be in the midst and He will be their God and they will be His people and He will have brought them through by faith and given them a new heart and they will be finally at home, at rest in the Millennial Kingdom. It's the nearest thing to the Garden of Eden. Incidentally, it is my belief, some people believe differently and they can do that, it is my belief that the Garden of Eden is right smack dab in Jerusalem. Uh, if you would go, and why do I say that? There's a lot, I can't get into this, but there, a lot of people say, well, no, there's four rivers. There are not four rivers, there's one river, but four rivers flow into that one river if you read in Genesis. Do you know that there is one river that flows underneath Jerusalem? There have been equivalent to the Navy SEALs, the Israeli forces have swam in scuba gear, up under Jerusalem and into that river. There is one river that flows right through Jerusalem. Uh, Many believe that the Ark of the Covenant, there have been some who have seen it, there have been eyewitnesses, have seen it that it is underneath, buried underneath the Dome of the Rock, where the Dome of the Rock is now Muslim controlled, and they believe it's right there. Jesus will be on the Mount of Olives. The new... City, The new heavenly city will come down out of the sky and he will, as it's coming down, He can step right off the Mount of Olives right into that glorious city. It's an important city. That's why all prophecy, we keep our eyes on Jerusalem. That's why the scriptures say, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. The song, I remember when we were in Israel and we were on the bus and we were going up. You know how the Bible says you always go up to Jerusalem. You always read in the Bible, they went up to Jerusalem. We're driving up to Jerusalem. And our guide is a Jewish guide and they put in a CD, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he's up there with all his might. He don't even believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And he's up there singing, Jerusalem, that city, because they know. They know that's where the kingdom will be. And they look forward to the kingdom. They just missed the Messiah. They just didn't know that the king has already come. And so... This prophecy is about that land and God's going to restore that land. And he, in Romans, tells us this is a new covenant with the Israel pe- Israeli people. That future Israeli people. Not just because they're a Jew by nationality, born a Jew, but those who, after the tribulation period, by faith, they've refused to take the mark of the beast and God has given them a new heart by faith. That's what he's saying. And he says and the waste and the desolate are ruined cities and become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feasts. So shall the way cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Can you imagine that time in the kingdom where it's populated? Men and women are walking. And they're at peace. There's no hint of any kind of civil disturbance. There's no hint of any kind of anxious spirit. They're just at peace in God's city, walking. And all will know that God builds the house of Israel where it used to be barren. He he goes into the ruined places and he builds and he plants that was desolate and he makes it plantable and tillable and it yields great fruit. Why? Because his great name. His great name. That's what's going to happen for the nation of Israel. You say, where in the world are we in all this? I believe that we'll be in the millennial kingdom. The church will be in there. And I believe that we will be servant kings. What does that mean? That means you and I are not going to be floating on clouds, up in the air, playing harps, eating grapes, wearing angelic robes. That's not what's going to happen. Just as we have responsibilities here upon the earth, in His kingdom we will have responsibilities. Hence Jesus telling the parable... He that is faithful with little, I will make you ruler of much. God says, you're faithful here to me on this earth, when it's my kingdom, you will be in a place of service in my kingdom. Now, wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't that be terrible to be in his kingdom and not have something to do because we were we were we were just lazy here. Keep it separate. We'll be serving. Israel will be there. You get to the end of Ezekiel, you'll find out there will be a temple in the kingdom. Why do you need a temple when you got the king there? Why will there be sacrifices when the king is there? Just like we participate and take the Lord's Supper, the Jews will have a remembrance, a memorial, and they'll have a way to honor the Lord also in the temple. And we believers that are faithful, we'll be there, we'll get to watch all this, we'll be able to serve the Lord, and man, it's going to be exciting times. How many of you get toward the end of winter and you're like, oh my goodness, could this ever be over? Could we get some spring and some sunshine? I believe believe this with all my heart, you go down on 64 and then you get on the turnpike and you go south and you go through the tunnel, and as soon as you go through the tunnel, wow. The, the sky looks different. It's gray up here. It's dingy, you know, and you come through that tunnel. Can you imagine when we pass from here to there? Can you imagine how wonderful it's going to be? God is so good. And uh, He made a covenant with His people and He will keep that. And He's made a covenant with us, uh, those of us that believe in Him, We'll be with him in that great land. Isn't that wonderful? Well, that's all I got to say about that. So I got